Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, we are studying verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. We're in chapter 6. Today we come to verse 27. This is part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. I've titled the message, A Golden Way to Live. And you'll see why in just a moment as uh, we read. You remember that uh, Jesus is preaching about two sorts of people. The blessed and the cursed. The blessed means happy. The happiest people on earth are those who realize they are in right standing with God. And the character of those who are in right standing with God is that they have a proper worldview. Now your worldview is the lens through which you interpret everything that happens all around you. Whether it's a major catastrophe on the news or a layoff close to home. The way you interpret what's going on in the world declares your worldview. And we unashamedly, as the pastors of your church, pray that everyone in our church would develop and maintain a biblical worldview, which means a Christian worldview. That is, we take in information through the lens of the Bible and through the lens of God's kingdom. And that begins with how we view ourselves. Now, Jesus said the proper way to view oneself is a spiritual beggar. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they don't have anything that God needs. And so they don't have any leverage. They can't come to him to negotiate. You have to come on his terms, which means pleading and begging for mercy. That kind of person is noted because they hunger after righteousness. They're hungry after what they know they don't have inherently or intrinsically. They, they want God's kind of righteousness that only can come as a gift of grace. And then these people uh, are, are those who are viewed by the world differently. Jesus said, a servant is not better than his master. And so if you have that sort of worldview, people are going to think there's something wrong with you. And sometimes they're even going to take it a step farther and hate you. In fact, he says uh, that, that they're going to scorn your name, verse 22, and insult you for the sake of the Son of Man. Now, we reminded us last week that make sure if you're hated, you're hated for the right reasons, right? Don't be hated because uh, you don't mow your yard. Don't be hated because you play your music too loud. Be hated for the Lord's sake. That is, because you walk so closely and you image the person of Jesus so well in your everyday life that people hate you the same reason they hated him. And that brings us uh, to our text today. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus is speaking. He says, But I say to you, who hear. Now, note that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. His disciples are those who say, We're students of yours, Jesus. We want to be followers of yours. He says, Okay, I'm speaking to my followers. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those 
from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And so when we have a, a right view of selves, others are going to view us differently. The question is how do we respond when people hate us? Now Jesus had some experience with being hated and He responded perfectly. And so he informs how we're to respond. The first thing he says is you should love them. Now you really have three options when it comes to dealing with your enemies. Number one, you can hate them right back, right? Would we agree that's an option? It's an option some people take. In fact, I think it's a great temptation for men because in our culture being macho is valued. And the most macho thing you can do is not take anything off of anyone, right? And so that's the reason a lot of people think Jesus was, was not very macho. Well, Jesus was strong, and, and Jesus, though, was meek. Meekness is not to be confused, though, with weakness. Meekness is power and strength under control. And Jesus is saying we're to have that kind of strength. It's strength under control that looks like meekness. And so Jesus says, don't take the option of, of giving back as, as good as you've gotten. I remember a movie that came out in the 1980s that was very popular and is still very popular among men because it was the story of Elliot Ness who cleaned up Chicago. Remember? He took down the Chicago Mafia led by Al Capone. And early in the movie, Elliot Ness's character is being uh, trained by a, a grisly old tough Irish cop. And he says, here's what you do, Elliot, when they put... One of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. And the men just cheer. Yeah, that's how you do it, right? You, you give it back to them. But Jesus says, no, L love your enemies. Well, Christians sometimes say, well, let's meet somewhere in the middle. Let's just be neutral towards our enemies. So what that means is ignore them. And maybe you received that sort of advice in grade school from one of your teachers when someone was being rude or unkind. And you said, this person's being unkind to me. They're mistreating me. And she said, well, just ignore them, right? And that's what some Christians try to do. We try to, you know, isolate ourselves inside the church building or in our homes, and we don't interact with our neighbors, and we don't interact with the culture. In fact, we, we might even buy a piece of land somewhere in Pennsylvania and dress differently and not let anyone else into the culture, right? And this is what we do. And that's one option. Let's be honest. Not the right option. Jesus says, love your enemies. And to love your enemies, you have to interact with them. Now, love is basically the overarching attitude which informs your actions, which means to love them means you seek their good. And he says not only have the attitude of love, but put it into action. Do good to those who hate you. In fact, that's the title of the message is the golden way to live, because right in the middle of this passage is the golden rule, right? In the King James it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now that's sometimes misquoted as do unto others before they do unto you, right? That misses the point altogether. Jesus is saying, have an attitude towards others where you treat them well, the way you want to be treated, but that's informed because you love even your enemies. What Jesus is instructing His followers to do is to expand their definition of the word neighbor, right? Because they knew very well that they were to love their neighbor, except for the fact they had defined who their neighbor is very narrowly. 
their neighbor were other Jewish people. Specifically, the Pharisees said people who keep the law like we do, who are super keepers of the law. Those are our neighbors. But if you fall outside of those parameters, it was perfectly acceptable to mistreat that other group of people. In fact, not only perfectly acceptable, among many of the Pharisees it was expected that you do mistreat someone outside of your neighborhood, meaning the Gentiles. Did you know among the Pharisees there was a, a rule that if you saw a Gentile drowning in the river, you should not help them? You should let them drown. These are the people who are supposed to be speaking for God. And so it, it's no um, surprise that Jesus rebukes that attitude. And he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. It's a whole different paradigm. It's a whole different way of thinking and living. And remember that the people resented the Romans of that day. They had occupied their holy land and they wanted them gone. Do you, know, you know that Jesus picked for one of his disciples a revolutionary, a man by the name of Simon, Simon the Zealot. He was from this political party that wanted to use force to get rid of the Romans. They hated them so badly. And Jesus saved that man just as he saved a tax collector, Matthew, and called him to be an apostle. By, by the way, before those guys became apostles, they were bitter enemies. Simon would be trying to get rid of Matthew and vice versa. And so this is the paradigm that, that Jesus says. This is a, a very different way of living. And that's why Jesus' teaching and ministry in, in general was so scandalous. Think about it. Not only Matthew, but how about Zacchaeus? This little man who was a way high in the structure of tax collector, hated by the people, a swindler, a liar. And Jesus went to his house and fellowshiped with him. How about the woman caught in adultery? Nothing was lower in the eyes of a Pharisee than a woman caught in adultery, and yet Jesus protected her. Just speaking to women in public was a no-no, and yet Jesus spoke openly with the woman at the well who was known to be divorced many times. He, he told a story, and the hero of the story was a Samaritan. We know it as the story of the good Samaritan. By the way, among the Pharisees, that was an oxymoron. There was no such thing as a good Samaritan. So, so you see, he's calling upon us to expand our definition of neighbor, that is to treat everyone with love and respect and dignity. And by the way, it's not only the problem of Pharisees, it's a problem today. It's a problem with, with me, and it's a problem with some of you. I, I grew up, as you know, in small churches in the rural south. Salt of the earth people, I love them dearly, and they are so kind and they loved one another, and they took care of one another, and uh, had so many good qualities. But even as a boy, as I read the Bible, the incongruity of some people I knew in the church who would give the shirt off of their back to help another church member, who would speak with hatred towards a person of a different race, and, and really see nothing wrong with that, because they had given themselves an exception to the golden rule. You're to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, except if they're of this race. You say, well, that, that's right. Those racists, they're terrible people. But I, but I hear it today when we talk about homosexuals or we talk about some group in society that we view as particularly sinful and we sometimes give ourselves an exception to that rule. We don't really have to love them. We don't have to teach, we, we don't have to respect that group of people and, and it's just not so. 
When Jesus says, love your enemies, he is expanding the definition of our neighborhood. Now, that does not mean, dear one, hear me very clearly, that you don't tell them the truth. In fact, it means the opposite of that. It means if you truly love your enemy, you love them enough to tell them the truth. Because I hope you know by now, we live in a culture in 2017 that is hostile to the truth. The last thing we're allowed to say in the public square today is that which is truthful. Because that will get you labeled very quickly as phobic or bigoted or a hate-filled person. But Jesus said you have to run the risk of being understood, misunderstood to be his disciple. Let's read on. I think you'll see what I mean. He says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And so the way your love for your enemy is manifested is that you don't give them back in return when they do something terrible to you or say something bad about you, and you pray for them. Now that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? To pray for your enemies. But you know, he doesn't say pray for them when you feel like it. He just says pray for them. But here's what I've found. It is virtually impossible to remain bitter and angry towards someone you are praying about regularly by name. If you have someone in your life, and it may be your spouse, who has turned into your enemy, and you want your heart softened towards them, you don't want to be angry and bitter towards them, here's what you do. You pray for them every day by name. And you know what will start to happen? You'll start seeing them no longer as your enemy, but as a potential trophy of God's grace. And you will want their good. And the best thing that you could want for anybody is their salvation. And that's why I said it's not unloading to tell the truth. Here's the truth. We're all sinners. And we fall short of the glory of God. It is not unloving to tell someone they're a sinner in need of a Savior. But be aware when we say that, not everyone's going to hear it like we mean it. Many times they're going to interpret that as you hate me. You don't accept all of my lifestyle and therefore you hate me and you're against me. And look, people are going to believe that. Nothing you can do about it. They, they believe wrong things about Jesus, didn't they? And he says, servant's not greater than his master. We have to take a risk every time we open our mouth. Several years ago, our church um, hired a company to help us reduce our risk in the building. So we hired a gentleman who was expert in the field. And he went into every room and he uh, documented every uh, electric outlet that needed a new cover. He looked at uh, potential places where people could injure themselves in the building, brought back his report, and we adopted a, a good many of his recommendations. It was very helpful. But I said to the committee at the time, and I said to our staff, I know a guaranteed way when we can make risk zero around here. And they said, what? I said, we can lock the doors, <laughs> turn off the lights, close the building, not let anyone in. By opening our building every week and inviting the community in, we're accepting some risk, right? We have to do that to be in the world, but, but not of it. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be naive. I wish we didn't have to hire policemen every Sunday to stand guard over us, but that's the world we live in. We're not naive. Jesus said to be harmless as doves, subtle as serpents, right? We're not foolish. We're not naive. We know what kind of world we live in. But we pray even for those who hate us. And what we pray for 
is their salvation. And I know this, every time I open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord, not everyone is going to receive that gladly. There are people who are going to hate us for what they hear in the scripture, but we love them enough to tell them the truth. Do you know that when the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, the last three chapters of Ephesians is all about how to relate to other people. Now specifically how Christians are to relate to one another, but Jesus just included enemies into that broader definition of our neighbor. And he said this, here's how it begins. Each one of you speak the truth to your neighbor. The basis of all relationships in the church is truthfulness. And to tell the truth in love is the kindest thing that you can do for anybody. It's the most merciful thing that you can do for anybody. And that, that's really what he's talking about here in this first section, verse 27, 28, 29. It's being merciful. Here's another example, verse 29. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Now that's a verse that's been debated a lot. Turn the other cheek. Some have taken that to mean that all Christians must be pacifist. There's great large denominations that teach pacifism. Christians are not allowed to go to war. Christians are not allowed to defend themselves if they're attacked physically. I don't think that's at all the point here. To be slapped on the cheek in Jesus' day was to be humiliated. It was to be belittled publicly. And so our instinct in our flesh and our humanity when someone insults us is to give it right back. He says don't do that. In fact, he even takes it to the point where it costs us money. He's talking there, I think, when he says if he takes your garment, give him your shirt also. He's talking about in the court of law. If someone thinks that you have defrauded them, you go beyond what they asked for to make sure that there's no possibility that anyone could think you misbehaved financially towards a non-Christian purpose. Here's what he's saying, underline the whole thing. He's saying don't throw away your Christian witness for one moment of joy. Here's what I mean. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Do you get a little joy by cursing them? Do you get a little joy by giving them a sign? Let's be honest, we do. The scripture says there is sin for a season, right? It has joy for a season, but it's so short. And in a moment of anger, you can destroy your Christian witness and credibility for a lifetime, right? He says, don't throw away your Christian witness for a moment's relief or, or joy. He says the same thing about your money. Don't fight a battle on principle to hold on to a few dollars that will cost you your Christian witness permanently among that person. I can't tell you how many professing Christians through the years in my ministry that I have seen forfeit their Christian ministry over a little bit of money. Little inheritance, a few acres of land where they dig in their heels and say, no matter what, I'm going to fight to the death for what is mine. He says, don't do that. If they want it, let them have it. It's just stuff. And you cannot do that if you don't take a long-term view of the Christian life, right? Because if, if, if you believe all you have is the here and now, you're going to fight for every square inch. But if you know you're just a pilgrim passing through, you can easily let that stuff go. Because you know what this verse says. Look at it. Verse 34. 
If you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. And before that, he said, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Here's Jesus' point. Look, you can get on an airplane over at Dallas-Fort Worth this afternoon and go to any, planet, any, any country on planet Earth where whatever religion you can name is dominant or whatever philosophy of life, and I guarantee you're going to find this. You're going to find parents who love their children. I've never been anywhere on Earth where you couldn't find parents who would do anything for their children. Well, Jesus says, so what if you have that kind of love for your family? Everybody has that. You're to have that kind of love and concern for even your enemies. That's what sets you apart against the world because you have a long-term view. Look at verse 34, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. And the implication here is that your great reward will not be in this lifetime, right? It is treasure in heaven. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up treasure on earth. That's why he taught his apostles to tell people, look, if you put your treasure here, if you're heavily invested here, here's what you need to know. That's all you're going to get out of it. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to depreciate eventually down to zero. Peter says, in fact, this whole earth is going to melt away with fervent heat. So why not put your treasure in heaven where the Lord stands over it and protects it for, for all of eternity. And then he says, you'll be called the Son of the Most High. Now in Jesus' day, to be called the Son of someone didn't just mean you're genetically connected to them. It means you behave like them. Remember the, the, the nicknames that Jesus gave his apostles James and John? The sons of what? Thunder. That was not a compliment, by the way. It means that wherever they went, they were disrupting the peace. They were causing a turmoil and consternation everywhere they went by their disagreements. Barnabas was a man in the book of Acts who had a good name. He was the son of encouragement, right? Everywhere he went, he was encouraging Christians to, to do things for the Lord. Well, Jesus said, when you live your life like this, when you expand your definition of your neighborhood to include even your enemies, when you do good to those who slander you, when you pray for those who care nothing for you, when you treat everyone the way you want to be treated, rest assured that your Heavenly Father will take note of that and you'll be called sons of His. <laughs> In other words, you're never more like Jesus than when you're telling the truth in love. You're never more like Jesus when you're not giving back as good as you got. And there's some examples of this, right? Do you remember when um, Jesus was on the cross? One of the last things he said before he breathed his last as he looked out over those people that had misused him and abused him and lied about him and beaten him and spit upon him and put a crown of thorns in his head. His thought was for their good. Father, forgive them. We say, well, I'm not Jesus. No, I'm not either. But when he lives his life through us, he gives us the ability to do that. How about Stephen? Stephen wasn't Jesus either. Stephen was a man like us. But as he was having people throwing rocks at his head to put him to death, he prayed a similar prayer. 
And he said, Father, I pray you will not lay this charge to their account. His concern was for those who were killing him. Well, probably, hopefully, prayerfully, none of us are going to leave here today and have to dodge rocks. It may come to that. It's not there yet. But here's what I guarantee you, as much as I can, is that before you lay your head on your pillow tonight, you're going to have to put this sermon into practice. Probably the Lord has put some person on your heart right now that you know you've not had that attitude for, towards. You sort of uh, like to think about what's going to happen to them in the end. In fact, you may be plotting already how you're going to help the Lord bring judgment on them. <laughs> That's not our job. We're told in the scripture to, that vengeance is the Lord's, right? Let, let him be the one to, to judge people. We're going to talk more about that in the meaning of that verse next week. But we've joined me. Let, let's ask the Lord, every one of us here who remembers at First Baptist Keller, as we go out today and have to make choices whether or not we're going to be doers of the word or hearers only, will you ask him to soften your heart towards some person or some group of people to which you've become embittered? And will you commit to praying for that person by name every day for the next week? And will you ask the Lord to help you to live this way? Because we can't do it on our own, right? If everybody in Keller, Texas would live according to the golden rule, man, we'd move from seventh to first on Forbes' list of best places to live in America. I guarantee that. People don't live that way because people are lost. Let's not expect lost people to act like saved people, right? And we watch people exhibiting behaviors in the culture and on television, on the news, and we wonder why in the world they think like that and think like that. We know why they live and think like that. They're lost. They don't know the Lord. They were in the same condition we were before He saved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we know if we take a short-term view of this life, we're going to fight tooth and nail just like lost people. We're going to defend ourselves and our reputation and our rights to the nth degree, even if it costs us our Christian witness. Father, help us to live like Jesus. Help us to be willing to run the risk of being misunderstood. Help us be willing to tell the truth in love, even if it, if, even when we know it's going to cost us, either financially or cost us our freedom or cost us our reputation. Help us to seek with all of our hearts to win the approval of heaven rather than the approval of men. Lord, when we, uh, as a group, start living that way, we know we're going to be abnormal to the culture. They're going to think us strange. Father, that's a good thing. Jesus warned us to be careful when everyone thinks well of us. It likely means we're not walking as close to Him as we should. So Father, help us to walk so closely to Jesus that some people hate us. And when they do, Father, help us to use even their hatred as an opportunity to bring glory to Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, 
visit us online at fbckeller.org.